God, for we stand in awe of your glory and your wonder. God, you alone are worthy. And in these moments, we submit to that. We thank you for your power, for your mercy, for the suffering that you endured so that we could live in peace and harmony with you when you come again. Father God, we thank you for your sacrifice. You alone are worthy to be praised. In these next few moments, we just ask for your spirit to be in this place. May you worship with us. May we feel your presence. To those who are going through a difficult situation in their life and they're here today, God, may your spirit be close to them. May they know that they are not alone, but that you are worthy to be praised. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Warehouse, church, community, good morning. For all you spring breakers out there, I know it's spring break, so I am happy that you chose to be here worshiping with us. Some of you may be watching online and you're on, on vacation, but nonetheless, welcome. If you're new here and you're vacationing in Florida and doing the Disney thing, good luck. I'm sure it's going to be uh, a lot of fun at those parks. But we are thrilled to be here with you guys. Um, we did something special, and, and after we have uh, one more special recording and song that we want to do specifically uh, for Easter, um, but we can always celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. I have a question that I want to start with, and that question is, is have any of you been familiar or have you ever been graded on a curve? If you're familiar with that, I don't know if they do that anymore. I know like education is very different when, from when I was in middle school or high school. But if you don't know what grading on a curve is, it's, it's basically to put it simple, at least the way we did it in this specific class, was that if someone got uh, say there was 100 points on the test and someone got an 87 and that was the highest score in the class, then your score was based off of that 87. That 87 was now the 100%. So in theory, if you got 83 out of 100, you really got 83 out of 87. Are you following? We're good? We were graded on a curve and I'm not going to name the teacher because I don't even know if he was supposed to be doing this. Uh, but this was years ago when I attended this very school. And I graduated in the class of 2006. If you know uh, anything about the best class to ever graduate Forest Lake Church, or Forest Lake Academy, uh, we were the first to do a few things. One, we were the first to actually go back and, act and do a cruise for our um, senior class trip. Before that, all the other classes would take a bus trip to New York, from here to New York, and that would be their class trip. We were finally able and allowed to go on a cruise, and I believe they had done that years, 
years ago before we went, but we were the first class to do it again. We were also part of the best record at an FLA basketball, 21-1. and The banner is up on, uh, in the gym if you would like to go see. But we were an amazing class. Also, we were the first class to try and beat the curve. We were in this class, and we all started talking. The group got together and said, if we all just put our name on the test and don't put any answers, then the highest score is going to be zero. So we're all going to get 100. So word started to spread. We were trying to get everybody on board. I wasn't the one who thought of this, but I'm like, I'll take 100. I'll, I'm down. Group started, and we, you know, you had the really smart kids who were trying to get into, like, these really amazing colleges who were really hard to convince, but we, we think, we thought we had them. We say, okay, guys, when this final, it was our final. When this final comes, just put your name, turn in. We're good. We kept asking, and the rumors began to spread, and we had heard that other classes had tried to do this and always failed, but we felt like we were going to do this. We were going to be the first class to get everyone to get 100 on their final, which guaranteed pretty much everyone at least passing the class. And I remember working um, at the school. I had an office, an office job, and I had to take files from one building to another. And I remember walking past this teacher's class. It was separate from the, the, uh, the main classroom building, and we had a lot in common. We talked baseball. He was a baseball fan. I'll give you a hint who he was. If, you're, if you've been here for a while, he was an Orioles fan. And we started talking about baseball. I'm a Yankees fan, so there's a rivalry there. And he always gave me a hard time for just being a Yankee fan. And we started talking, and he said, hey, I have a proposal for you. He says, if you take this test, I won't tell anybody, but if you score and you, just, you can get whatever grade you want, I will give you 100% for the final and for the class. And I'm like, oh, this would be great for my GPA, like an A in, in science class. And the pressure started to amount. And he said, come on, someone's going to do it. It might as well be you. I need you to take this test. That told me that he was a little bit worried that we were actually going to follow through with this plan. And he tried to catch me off guard. And I, then I had the dilemma. Do I, do I take this test? Do I score 100? And then really just turn my back on the entire class. And I'm struggling with this. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. And Finally, I just can't do it. And we get to the to test day, and he goes up in class, and he says, guys, someone took the test early. If so if you thought about taking a zero, you're going to fail the class now because this person has already taken the test. Luckily, I had studied. Luckily, I, I uh, was prepared because I was worried about if I was going to fail or pass the class. But what he did was, is, is he gave me a conditional statement. He, he, he presented me with this. If you take this test, I'm going to give you 100%. And maybe some of you have had situations and instances where you've been put in this situation. Luckily for me, I didn't fail my classmates, and I wasn't that guy to take the test. Still, to this day, I do not know who it was. We have our suspicions as to who we think um, took that, that test. But we've been asked that if we do something, then we will receive something in return. Scripture is, is flooded with these conditional statements, these if and then statements. Just recently, this week, unplanned, we got a puppy. 
We were not planning on him, on, on getting him at all. I think I have a picture of him if, if, uh, if it made it that way. But recently we got a puppy, and he is a, a Bernadoodle. And that's, that's him right there. Um, last Sunday, the opportunity presented itself. This was like, we were supposed to do this next year. And I don't know what got into me, but I suggested this idea. Soon realized what I had gotten myself into and in training a puppy to go to the bathroom outside and teach him not to do this and not to scratch and not to jump on the couch. And it's been an interesting week, to say the least. But the girls, they love him. And it, it's been, overall, it's been really fun to see them engage with this dog. But now we are learning to try and tell this dog, if you pee outside, we'll give you a treat. If you don't jump on the couch, if you do this, if you listen to us, then you will be rewarded. This idea of giving someone an, an opportunity to then receive something in return. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, we receive and, and we, we read about a specific conditional statement. It doesn't involve test taking or a dog. But this, I believe, when we, when we read through conditional statements, and they are there in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I believe reading these if and then statements, we begin to see more of who God is. We begin to see the character of God. Philippians 2, verse 1, I'll read a few verses here. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes in to talk about who Jesus actually was. It says, if you have any desire, if, you have, if you've chosen to live a life with me, if, I have, if, if, if this is just God speaking, if I have impacted you in any way, if I have enhanced your life, if there is meaning in your life because of what I have done for you, then I ask this of you. If you consider yourself a good person and identify yourself in me, then I'm asking this of you. If you've lived in a life that not only includes God, but makes God the center, then this is what I want you to do. To be like-minded. To have the same vision, to, to be in the same alignment of things, in agreement with important values, important things, to, to also understand that Jesus is the center of your life, having the same love, the same love that Christ gave, that love that he paid for on the cross that allowed us to continue living in a life that we can walk in grace. He says, if you value me if you accept me as your Savior, then I'm asking you to give the same grace to others as I have given you. 
to value others about yourself, above yourself, to not put yourself first and not try and get what you can out of every situation, but to always look to how you can help others. What he is basically saying and and describing was the life that Jesus lived. He's saying, if you do this, then I ask you to imitate me. Here's the difference between a man-made conditional statement, like the one I presented to you earlier, like the one that, um, oh, his name is Oakley, by the way. The, The conditional statements that we give Oakley The difference between a man-made conditional statement and a Jesus-driven conditional statement is that when Jesus gives a conditional statement, it is not for his own self-gain or reward. It is for the interests of others. He says, if you love me, if I have done anything in your life, then I ask you to pay that forward to somebody else. He doesn't say, if you love me, then do this for me. Because there's nothing we can give to God that he doesn't already have. He says, if you love me, journey with one another. Have the same heart. Be like-minded. Have spiritual conversations with one another. Love each other. Show grace and mercy to one another. Take your relationships with one another seriously. In verse 6, He says, do not consider, he says he did not consider his equality with God something to be his own advantage. You see, Jesus was fully God, and he came to earth and became fully man. He had all the right to come in righteousness and exercise his authority and power and glory. Instead, he came down and he sacrificed his power, his perfection, his life in heaven to, to come to this earth, this broken world, and take on human flesh. And in his time here, he could have easily taken full advantage of being God and being the God of authority. Instead, he journeyed and he came down and he walked with 12 individuals and he invested in them and he heard their stories and he invited them into a relationship that would then flourish when he left earth. He did not use his equality with God as a weapon. Instead, he came down and became fully man. He was vulnerable. He exposed himself. We can be guilty of using the church and using our our faith journey as an equality measure. Using God or the church when it's advantageous to our own appetite or our own needs. I have, I have a few people, this has happened several times in ministry where I don't see or hear of someone. They don't come to church anymore. And all of a sudden I get this email. Oh, hey, Pastor Juan, how you doing? I uh, hope everything's well. Hey, listen, um, can you write me an email for my work saying that I can't work on Sabbath because of religious reasons? Don't hear from them. No, they're not in church. But it's convenient to use God or the church when it benefits us. Here's what this verse is trying to say. Here's what this this passage is trying to teach us. It's trying to teach us the humility 
of Christ. I can close my eyes and point to countless verses where we see God's glory and power exercised. But if you look at the life of Jesus, the Godhead, Jesus is the character of humility, giving of himself to journey with others, to take relationships to a deeper level, knowing who he is as God, but submitting himself in vulnerable and open relationships. Imitating Christ also means a lot of things. When we imitate Christ, when we're called to be imitators of him, it not only means that we exercise humility, but it also means we learn how to love. We learn how to be patient. We learn how to be kind. We take on an attitude of selflessness. And all those things we know are fruits of the Spirit. And I can go on listing what those are. But among all these, I think the hardest one that we have to learn is the one on humility. It's great to be loving, to show kindness. It feels good. But it doesn't always feel good to have a heart of humility, to admit when you're wrong, to sacrifice something that you may be holding on to for the greater purpose. Imitating his humility is what Philippians 2 is teaching us. As a church in action, we've been discussing what that looks like. If a church isn't walking in humility and journeying with its own community, then it's not fulfilling the purpose that God has called it to be. It's easy to read the story of Christ and understand his nature and how glorious that is when in fact that was never the intention of Jesus. In fact, this is how the Jewish people when 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 Jesus when they were when they were promised a Messiah, there was this expectation from the Jews that he was going to be this glorious this this glorious loud entrance from heaven in a fiery chariot. I don't know what what they were expecting, but they were expecting a triumphant entry into this world. Steps to Christ talks about what, what was actually was expected. And they were hoping that they were going to see God come down and the Messiah in all glory with trumpets loud, making this furious entrance into the world when, Jesus, when God sent Jesus as a baby in a manger. And they missed Jesus because they were expecting something glorious when Jesus came in humility. Christ came to this earth for one purpose, to be the sacrifice. We must be imitators of that sacrifice. He had nothing to gain from taking on human form. There was nothing for Jesus to gain to come here and and, and simply be a human. But not only was he called to be a human, he was also called to give his life for a group of people that turned their back on God at the very beginning of time. But here's the beautiful thing about that sacrifice. We no longer need to live with the pressure of needing to prove ourselves. When we live a life that is sacrificial, when when we live a life as Jesus is calling us to live, there's no need to try and prove ourselves for who we are. There's no need to to be obsessed with social media and how many likes and follows we're getting. There's no need to portray ourselves a certain way in front of others, in front of our friends, because our identity no longer 
belongs to us and trying to prove who we are, but it's about Jesus and what He's done for us. That is the value. That is what we're called to. When our identity is in Jesus, it's easy for us to lean into the humility of who He is. Because we don't have to work anymore to prove ourselves. Because it no longer becomes about us, but about Jesus. We know that Jesus was unorthodox in his approach to life. He did everything backwards. He did, he, did, he did things that people did not expect. God sent him here in a way that people were not expecting him to send him down. But this was one, well, this was one of those moments. To become greater, we must become more humble. If we are imitators of Christ, then we can't forget his purpose. And we must imitate that first and foremost. The purpose of Jesus was to be a sacrifice. The purpose for him coming here was to be the sacrifice, to give of himself. And we must also be imitators of that. Yes, we receive his glory and his power and his forgiveness and his grace. But we also receive his humility, learning how to interact with one another. We are not greater than somebody else. Being in a specific group and a specific calling doesn't make you elite in a specific church. Your church is not better than another church. We're called to live in humility with one another. If we are imitators of Christ, then we cannot forget his purpose, and that is what we must imitate fully. I used to watch a lot of Sports Center growing up. That was back when Sports Center was one hour, and they had the did you know statement at the very end of the hour. And I always wanted to know what I didn't know. And it was always some really cool statistic of maybe an event that happened that night. But I would get up at five in the morning or six before my parents, and I would watch before you could have YouTube at your fingertips. I would watch, I would get up at six watch it from 6 to 7 and from 7 to 8, the same thing over and over because I wanted to watch to see if my favorite player at the time had hit a home run, and that was Ken Griffey Jr. I used to love Ken Griffey Jr. I, I, I loved how he played the game. I loved how he would put his hat backwards when he went to the home run derby. I loved how he played outfield. Everything about him, his swing, I mean, even, even his logo, if you look at the logo that he had of Ken Griffey Jr., it's his swooping left-handed swing. And although I wasn't left-handed, I, I tried to emulate that as much as I could. Throwing tennis balls in my backyard, trying to swing like Ken Griffey Jr. I would study whenever, every opportunity I had to try and figure out how he did it. And I remember watching ESPN and any, any moment that I could see and trying to imitate this guy's Perfect swing. Still to this day, if you ask a baseball fan who watched baseball in the 90s, they would say, Ken Griffey had the sweetest swing in baseball. If you want to be like Jesus, we need to study Jesus. If you want to act and learn how to walk the way Jesus did, we need to take every opportunity that we can to learn more about who Jesus is. And we need to do that together. Jesus did not journey by himself. He journeyed with a group of individuals, and he poured into them. We need to be imitators of that. We need to study what Jesus did and why 
He did it. We've read stories, countless stories. If you've been in the church for a while, you've read the stories of Jesus, but have you tried to imitate those stories in your life? Have you bridged that gap? It's nice to read what Jesus did and how he extended forgiveness and how he was, he was inconvenienced to heal people and how he went out of his way to serve others. And sometimes we leave that story at our table at home and we don't take that story with us and ask, how can I imitate Jesus today? Stories make us feel good, but they're different when we try to apply them to our lives. But we must first submit to who God is, knowing that our identity is not found in us, but it is found in who Jesus is. We need to know Jesus better. The humility of Jesus is woven throughout his ministry and his relationships with others. We talk about this idea of a living sacrifice. We sing songs about it, but this living sacrifice is exactly who he was. The moment he walked, started walking on earth, he was a living sacrifice. He knew what was his destiny was. He knew what he, was, what he came here to do. He knew how it was going to end in pain, in humility, on his knees. The greatest of all now became the least of all. So what does it look like to be sacrificial? What does it look like to give in our church and in our communities? My previous church in Atlanta, this, this, this church was a, um, it, it was a, years ago, it was a Korean church and it morphed because there were second and third generations of Koreans who now married outside of the faith or outside of their um, culture. So it was a very mixed group of people, and, and my, my call there was to be the youth and young adult pastor of that church. And there was these two services, basically, and one of them was the, the Korean side, which was a lot of the older church members, and realistically, they were the ones who had all the money, and they called a lot of the shots. We had the 9 o'clock service, but we were strategizing and talking on what it looked like to grow together to do life together and how we could come and be more closely woven. And, and the decision came from the Korean church, the, the group. And they said, we want to give you the 11 o'clock hour to do your church service. That was huge. If you know anything about the golden hour of church, it's like 11, 1130. That's when people will come. If it's too early, you're probably not going to get a lot of people. If it's too late, they got things to do. So 11 o'clock is the sought-after hour. Everybody wants that hour. So they gave us that hour, and this church began to meet this group of people, all different groups coming together to worship, and, and 9 o'clock was the full-on Korean church. I didn't preach at the Korean church, obviously. I don't look Korean. I don't speak Korean. I did learn a little bit while I was there, but my responsibility was more with this group of people and we had two different financial, um, I guess, on, on our finance committee, two different lines. One was how much the Korean church gave and this church gave. And we were all the same church, but it was split that way. And for years, the Korean side was, it would dominate, which was fine. But for the very first time, a year after they allowed us to meet, when they sacrificed that hour, was the first year that this mixed group outgave the Korean church side. 
And that was a group of people in their 20s and in their 30s because they felt valued, they felt loved, and they felt like something was sacrificed. This group of people gave something that maybe made them feel uncomfortable, maybe, maybe took them out of their comfort zone. They were used to worshiping at the hour that they wanted, but they said, we have to sacrifice if we want to grow together. So this church did just that. And this group of young people, young families, 20s, 30s, 40s, began to feel valued and loved, and they began to work together and journey together because of the sacrifice that they made. Jesus became less so that his father could become more. The moment Jesus began to influence is the moment he began his journey with these 12 individuals, sharing stories, investing in them, teaching in them, teaching them what it meant to live a life in him, asking the difficult questions and being vulnerable with one another. He, he did all of this with nothing to gain. But we approach the local church and the community in general, like this so many times, what can I gain from this experience? What can I gain for being at this church? What can I gain from this person, from this individual? What can this person or individual do for me? It's how we live life. It's how we're taught to do life so many times. If this person can do something for me, then I will give them this. Jesus became less so that his father could become more. Miko Salo is a old-school European CrossFitter. He's like a, the kettlebell king. And he no longer competes, but he, he has videos of him like working out in the wilderness. I, I'm pretty sure he has like bears and all this crazy stuff behind him, but he's just this raw, like this fitness guy who loves like the caveman mentality. And I remember when I was watching him, he would say, after a workout, an intense, grueling Work out. I never fall to my knees because that means that shows the the uh, the competitor or the one hunting me that I have submitted that I have given up. So I never fall to the ground. I used to try so hard not to do that. After getting worked out and doing this crazy long workout, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fall because I that means I've submitted to the competitor or whatever. There's no competitor, but it was just the mentality of having that of falling to my knees and, and, and giving up. But that is the posture that God wants us to take because that posture is when God shows himself the most in our life. The posture of prayer, the posture of submitting is the one that we are supposed to take so that he can show his power. His power is found in our posture of submitting, of kneeling and saying, God, take over my life because I don't want to control it anymore. Jesus' most vulnerable moment, most embarrassing, most defeating moment was the turning point where the world would change forever. In that moment on Calvary, when he was beaten and bruised and put to die, that was the moment in history where we no longer had to live with our sin. We no longer had to live with the guilt, with, the, with the, the pain and suffering that burdens our life because now 
Jesus paid that price in his sacrifice. That was the turning point that changed the trajectory of the world. Jesus' most embarrassing moment, most vulnerable, most sacrificial moment changed the trajectory of history. What can we learn by the posture of Jesus? A church in action grows together by having the same mission, vision, and values. Our mission is to live the gospel. Our values to have a our vision is to, to have a passion for God for service. We grow together through transparency, through accountability, and through sacrificing for one another in our relationships, opening up ourselves, sharing something deep and heavy in our hearts with the person who we are journeying with in our church and in our communities so that they can also share in that grief with us. Sacrificing for one another in our time, giving to our community, not being part of a church or a community for our own self-gain, but for the gain of others. Our willingness to become less so that others can become more. We can only do this if the target is the same. If we are like-minded, like Philippians 2 tells us, if we have the same love, if we have the same Jesus in our life, if we've submitted to that, to walk together, to journey, what does that even look like to journey together? How did Jesus become this, turn into this human man from this great being, this creator God? How did he do that? What did that look like? We will never be able to grow together if there is no sacrifice in our relationships, if there is no willingness to be open with one another, to go below the surface, to go be behind the smile of the, that we put on in church, the pain that's going on in our life. If we're not willing to share that with one another, we're never going to grow together. And Jesus can never be glorified if we continue to put on our fronts, if we continue to live for ourselves and not live a life of sacrifice with one another. A church in action grows together through the good and through the bad. We must be willing to give of ourselves by just simply getting to know one another below the surface. That is what discipleship is. It's what Jesus did. It's what he's calling us to do, to be like-minded, to have the same love for the purpose to be Jesus. This chapter is split into three parts. The appeal to humanity and if you continue to read, if we had more time, we would. But we have the humility of Christ and who he did, who he was and what he did. And then we have the glory of Christ. We have goals. We've developed goals at Warehouse. One of those goals is to, to launch 12 discipleship groups. What does that look like? Maybe you're wanting to grow deeper with a group of people. Or maybe that just looks like you and someone else committing to that growth. Well, how do you get there? What, what, what does that even look like? Well, we put some time into putting together a document of what that looks like, helping you get started. Maybe it's meeting with someone for one hour a week, journeying, asking these questions, asking important questions, learning what it means to give of your time, to share your story. Sharing your story means you're pretty vulnerable if you can do that. 
but that's you coming to us and saying, I want to, I want to be part of a discipleship group. I want to journey, but I don't know where to start. Come to us. We want to pray with you. We want to share with you what we have, and, and we, can, we will share that online. And, and if you text us, if you text connect to 94,000, we will get you what you need to get going. We want to start and have 12 of these. Our hope is that we blow that number out of the water this year. But if there are 12 individuals who meet with someone else or a group of people, we've accomplished the goal that we feel God has put in our hearts and in this community. To put the ideology of Jesus to real life practice. So many times we go to church and, and we don't really, we preach in theory and, 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 and this idea of something, but so many times we miss the mark and we actually don't give you the next step. This is the next step. To take on the idea of being a disciple, to journey with one another, to ask these questions. If you forget everything else, remember this. The glory and wonder of Christ was found in his humility. May we, may we be imitators of Christ as we grow in relationship with those that God has put in our life. Maybe, may we be willing to sacrifice ourselves. May we be able to submit to who Jesus is, to what he did, not worrying about what others think of us, but know that in our broken moments, in the moments of surrender, Jesus is glorified. There's a song that goes, I touched the sky when my knees hit the ground. It's in the moments when we're weak that we submit to God and we fall to our knees that God becomes most real in our relationships with one another, in our personal life. May that journeying with one another, may it be a raw relationship where we ask each other difficult questions, where we hold ourselves accountable. May we sacrifice that we can grow together and may it be Jesus' name that is glorified.